True Crime 49 is an Alaskan true crime podcast, the original Gothic Veritas. One of the things I think is very exciting about today's episode is, is that it's an active case of a missing person that the family, the law enforcement are all convinced with, without hard evidence that this person has been abducted. And it's relevant and it's open. Every city is at risk. This person is still out there. Welcome to True Crime 49. Anesha Catherine Duffy Murnane, born August 12, 1981, was 38 years old when she went missing in Homer, Alaska. Duffy was a Caucasian woman with brown hair, blue eyes, and she wore glasses. She was 5'11 and 180 pounds, almost six foot tall. Sarah and Ed Berg, or Duffy's parents, they were in their vacation home in Mexico in October when they heard the news. Duffy had planned to travel out of state and go to Mexico to see her parents and go to Oregon to visit some friends. Duffy moved back to Homer recently where she was born. Previously, she had been employed at a Montessori school in Seattle and from all accounts, Duffy loved children. She grew up with babies, and in a lot of her pictures, she's with children, so it makes sense that she worked as a Montessori teacher. She was also a world traveler from a young age. She continued to do that later in life and taught at different schools internationally, like Honduras and Australia. Her mom said that she was excited about coming down to join them in Mexico, and then suddenly she's gone. And now they're there, and she, the mom specifically said they are in a nightmare and they have no idea where she's at. Duffy was last seen in a security camera leaving her apartments. It shows that she was on foot at about 12.15 p.m. She had an appointment at one o'clock, 45 minutes later. It appeared she would have been on time. She was leaving on foot and everything looked normal in the photo. She had an appointment at the community health center run by the Soldovia Village Tribe. It's about a one-mile walk from her apartment. Duffy lives in a supported housing unit. Her mother confirmed that she did have some medical issues. She was diagnosed as bipolar, but she was on medication and she was taking her medication. From the time that she had missed her appointment, 1 o'clock, October 17th, until the 19th, is when she was reported missing. At her housing unit, which was an apartment, they have their own apartment, there are certain rules of when they check in on people. Some of these people, especially with behavioral health, they like to, you know, they might take a day or two inside and just not go outside. There's a certain segment of time that you wait before you go knock on the door. When they click, when they add up, it breaks the threshold. And they say, this is where we knock on the door. And if the person is upset, we can tell them, you know the rules. You, you missed the fiver, you know, or you missed the one, you missed the other. Yeah, you missed two meals. After the second meal, it hits the threshold by protocol, giving them as much privacy as you can. It hit that threshold the second day. Mm -hmm. She didn't just have a sad day. If it's maybe she's on the second sad day, let's go knock on the door. They go in. She's not there. That is the first moment. Two days late from when she went missing, that's the first time that the alarms go off that she is nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. For a 38-year-old woman, she's afforded that right, that privacy, even if she has medical issues once in a while. Um, but like you said, all accounts say that she was doing well. The Alaska State Troopers and the Homer Police issued a silver alert for Duffy on October 19th, as soon as they found out. 
The state of Alaska has a silver alert system, and it's a voluntary partnership between the law enforcement and local and state government with the media to alert the public when a vulnerable adult goes missing. Silver alert initially for like um, our elderly folks who might have dementia or Alzheimer's and might need, uh, you know, when grandma goes missing, a silver alert instead of opposed to the Amber Alert. The system uses media and broadcast releases, emails, social media, to give a description of the missing adult. Immediately after those two days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when they found her missing, the silver alert goes out and everybody, you know, you get those on your phone, it's on the news, and they should have been keeping an eye out. Her photo was out there and her description. By all accounts, she was of sound mind and um, she had recently talked to her counselor in the morning before she went to an appointment and they were really positive because she had been looking for jobs and had you know working towards getting her own apartment um, the other thing was nothing was missing from her apartment her phone and banking hadn't been used and I think one of the most um, the most crucial things is that she hadn't talked to her mom and her mom and her were real close they talked to each other pretty much you know, a couple of days wouldn't go by without them talking to each other. And so her phone wasn't used, a bank wasn't used, and she hadn't contacted her support system. So those are all red flags. I think it's interesting about the silver alert is because, number one, it tells us a couple of different things. One is, is that the way that they conveyed the message, and it, Homer being a small town, the by the police listening to who that was missing that it wasn't oh she go usually goes out and parties and drinks and sometimes she wakes up in seattle yeah it was not that type of situation when they took she go it went from a regular missing person with to keep an eye out for her when they applied the silver alert it we know that there were a lot of eyes people getting texts every time you drive on the roads you see people who are emts they have the sticker on their window or they have the little flag you mm -hmm. see emt 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 people are out there they are connected and if there's an alert they're yeah. going to be looking the silver alert ensures us there were eyes looking immediately for grandma but it wasn't grandma this mm -hmm. time what it's a silver alert it's a younger woman as soon as the search is beginning, when the person, you know, gets off the phone, they go out to the, you know, the balcony and look out. You know, we know what the conditions were. It says it had a high of 41, low of 37. So uh, definitely above freezing. Light rain in the morning, cloudy, and it cleared up by 6 o'clock in the evening. It's definitely cloudy and rainy and changing, you know, by the minute. The, the police department, especially you know, because of the silver alert, the police department, they did their the due diligence. They went out there and they were telling everybody, you know, looking, we want to look at your video cameras. We want to see if you got a camera off your porch, or game cameras. You've been looking for a bear getting in your, your trash cans. Unfortunately, the only picture that they have is from the awning of her apartment, which is a place for people that need behavioral services. I will say this too, by seeing what she's wearing when she wa is walking away, Number one, she's wearing the perfectly appropriate clothes for the day's forecast. Mm -hmm. The light blue coat is very clean. Of course, we all know using coats like that, 
if you use them, you brush them against stuff, brush them against stuff to become like dingy. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying is her, the state of her when she's walking away and everything's in order and her purse, coat, she looks like she's taking very good care of herself and she's mm -hmm. very in control of like who she is. She does not seem like she is spinning out of orbit right in the photo mm -hmm. again you know this is duffy Murnane. um she was abducted october 17th 2019 in homer of Alaska. she was wearing a blue jacket a light blue shirt and jeans on her person was a purse that was plaid purple and pink and in her purse she had her wallet cell phone and id um not her passport or anything like that her family and friends we're asking everybody to search abandoned buildings on their property, um, cabins, shops, any empty properties, report anything suspicious. That's like going along with not only were law enforcement asking people, the businesses on that strip or anywhere, businesses and homes to look at their video cameras, her friends themselves, or people who would have seen the silver alert. A lady who jogged regularly on some of the similar paths that Duffy would have taken and other people who were out with their ATVs just searching as a community thing when that silver alert went out. A lot of resources were allocated to finding Duffy. This type of case right here, it got not only money sending and bringing in the dog team from Anchorage. When they ran the dogs, there's a couple of things that they do. Somebody knows the the information from the, everything they can glean. Where would she have walked? What would have been her normal route? If she had whatever, would she have went any other way? And they know this is where we think that they say she would have used. Sometimes you convey it to the guy with the dog. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes they, they want to see what the dog does without any type of thing from the master knowing that he's on the right road. He's on the right road. The dog can sense that he's happier. When they put the dogs on the trail, the dogs took off, just like what the video cameras showed. And from the video camera, they would have saw the dog as well. And they take off, and he's go they're going down their route. And these dog handlers, when they when they become familiar with these dogs, they know certain things about not only is the dog acting like this, this is exactly how he acted when we found that one thing or when we did the other one. And as he's watching these dogs, he's realizing this dog is not questioning it. This dog is on it. And as they follow the trail, as they're following the trail, they come to a spot where the dog stops. And the dog is looking and the dog is looking and he, and they eventually, they did it oh, a number of times. The dog circles back and comes back to where she knows she would have been again. And it makes this loop. As soon as they did that, the dog handlers began to say and tell the, everyone, it was blatant to the law enforcement. They call it a car pickup mm -hmm. is when the, the dog handlers recognize this yeah. dog is showing signs that she was walking. It was absolutely clear as day that she was here. Mm -hmm. And from that spot there, there is nothing. So much the dog will go back to the beginning, make mm -hmm. a loop, and start again hot on the trail again. And when he comes to that exact same spot every time, there's nothing there. It, this is very similar to when the Golden State Killer was almost killed. I believe at this point he was classified as the Eastside Rapist. The dog, they said for years that they thought the Golden State Killer had a, like a, either a liver disease or some type of major organ disease because the dog had him in the bushes, had him running along the viaducts, coming out to where a car might have been parked and lost it. And they did that one numerous times and the dog always did this car pickup. The person is gone from the road there. And by the way the dog responded, sensing the Golden State Killer every time, it, for a long time, it was part of the profile. This guy probably has 
kidney, liver, or a major organ, something about the way the dog even regarded him. Mm-hmm. They, for years, had it that he might have had some major organ disorder. This is exactly what happened here. The girl, the trail is there, and it's gone. Everyone in law enforcement says there's no hard evidence. She was abducted. So immediately, they're not looking now for a girl who was walking, and what would her radius have been? If you were to spin that same distance and walk the other way, you'd be out into the ocean. Mm-hmm. So if a girl was walking, that's where the search was. As soon as the car, the, the dogs, which was the first weekend after she disappeared, she disappears mm-hmm. on a Thursday, two days goes by. On that weekend, the dogs are there. Right. They're sensing, they're, it's fresh enough that the dog is on her scent that weekend. And now all of a sudden they realize she's not in that circle of the vicinity of a girl who was walking from her apartment to the clinic and back. They expanded it. Dock. You've got a float plane dock. You've got a road going up out of town. You've got a road mm-hmm. going back up into the valley. All of a sudden, the search intensified. And this is these mm-hmm. pulses of what I was mentioning about the heart volunteers. The one, mm-hmm. the, the surge that comes in from people when they hear, when they, it's one thing when they, she might have walked down into the water. But when the girl was abducted right in the middle of town and she's, the girl who was the Montessori school teacher got abducted in broad daylight in the middle of Homer. And now she could be anywhere. There was a lot of people who were there and working in grids and teams of volunteers. They walked the woods around the businesses and the homes, the backyards of the businesses and homes. They looked pretty much everywhere. Like um, the friends and family had asked the community to look in their own homes and cabins and empty property. They continued to you know, work in search grids. Um, helicopters did a low search as well. And they also utilized drones and um, Argos to search the beach. The helicopters flew the same day that the, the 911 call went in. They were flying out over a ravine. They looked down into the ravine and they saw something that was the exact color of her coat, the coat in the picture. So everyone, of course, they get excited. They crawl down all the way down there or they looking with optics and they see it's a truck. It was a big letdown. And it was a big letdown. And, and, and it, the hood was you know, laying in a position to where the truck is all rusted and rotted. But the hood was like peeled back. So there was something blue shining mm-hmm. down in the trees of this ravine. And that, and that would have been a, a glimmer of hope. In the, in the face of what's happening here, you've got, she goes missing and you got the helicopter. People in Homer, you know, they, they see the helicopter flying out. And, oh, they almost mm-hmm. found something today, but it wasn't her. And then they bring the dogs out and they say it was a car. And as the thing begins to progress, all of a sudden it starts to go from one of these things where it's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be we talk about years later. And we say, remember when they found the girl? But then it starts to get to the phase to where everyone kind of realizes this is one of those things that we're always going to say. We don't know what happened to her. Mm-hmm. We don't know what happened to her. And yeah. they're still trying. Some people have resigned that this is over. But a lot of people kept saying, okay, well, let's check the ferry terminals. Let's yeah. check the um, the border, you know. Even the border, right. Even the state line, that you know, in, that's where they're at at that phase of this experience is you're still keeping a positive effort. Maybe she's checked in, you know, have you checked the hotels just near the side of the Canadian border? And, but at the exact same time, everyone's trying to stay positive. At that exact same time, the guys who work with the dogs, the guys who live with the dogs, the guys who watch the dogs as different emotions, they come out on May 1st and May 2nd. And what they're doing is not they don't even have the same dogs. 
This is the second set of team. This is the cadaver dogs. They are specifically trained to look for those gases that are always there. And when they target on that gas, they are just as excited about it as, as the cocaine dog is in the airport. Mm -hmm. And so when they bring those out, the people might say, oh, they're doing another look, look for her. Like, yeah. But the fact is that second wave of dogs that you will see now it is, it was October when she went missing. It's May now when it begins to thaw. At the thaw point, the second set of dogs are cadaver dogs and they did a search all over the place. I'm sure they found all types of things, but it says that the nothing was definitive. So yes, they, those dogs in the radius, they found probably people's pets that they'd lost over the winter and, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But they never found anything at all definitive to indicate that anything they say that they found her or have any type of conclusion that she, the cadaver dogs picked up nothing. Mm -hmm. Homer Police Department, the Alaska State Troopers and the FBI were extensively involved in searching for Duffy Murnane. They and they did a, an excellent job. They they did they asked for resources from people from the community. They brainstormed together, and they really didn't come up with anything. So they hired special investigator Matt Haney, and he was a former Homer Police Department lieutenant, and he had went to the lower forty eight. He did thorough training in missing persons cases, and so they called him back to Homer to help with finding Duffy. Uh, one of the things he did right off the bat was to review every scrap of data that had been collected. You know, he re-interviewed over a hundred people. He said it was important for himself to go back and interview each person. He brought up the fact that um, uh, Duffy's dad, Ed, was giving a, a talk. The night before she was abducted, her dad's stepfather, her stepfather, Ed Berg, he had a, there was a, a, like a, like a talk he was giving. He's there. 70 people were there. And well, that, that was the last social event that mm -hmm. she was seen at. They used as a marker for her behavior when she went missing. The night before she went missing, she's usually kind of an introvert. She stays at home, but she was there at the museum and they were having a, by all accounts, a good time. And nobody said that she was acting sketchy or she was going to split or she was going to go to her appointment by that evening it was pretty much set she's hanging out with her family the next day she's going to go to her doctor's appointment shortly after she's going to go to mexico even though investigator hanley came on the scene several months later he wanted to go back and relive that week he wanted to talk to the employees of the place where she worked at and they all checked out and he's really kind of doing it by the book and trying to look from different aspects up that these people who are already very thorough with the search dogs and helicopters and just their years of experience and coming with fresh eyes. And I think one of the things about him in particular is he's from Homer. Homer, from the outside, looks like one of those Gordon Fisherman commercials, you know, with the big lighthouse and a lot of fishermen, but it is not. It well, I mean, the, one <laughs> thing that comes to mind is the classic, the classic line, you know, in Alaska, if a woman goes to Alaska, there's more men than there is women. Her odds are good, but the goods are odd. Mm -hmm. 
so when you're and you are right homer appears from the outside as the it's the brochure quality photo of what some part people would expect of alaska when you look at the brochure of homer you say yes i want to go there i want it to feel like that and as you come down into homer the the the, the scene that lays out before you of course everybody knows it's beautiful when you go down into the town and you're in there, there is, it doesn't feel super welcoming. Uh, it has a different feel to it. And when you drive into that town, you see heavy, heavy fishing machinery. You see ships. You see welders, you guys. You see people moving directly to what they're doing. And there's not a lot of signs to say, this is, I'm doing this. It's the people moving around mm-hmm. for you. And it's all functioning. It's very balanced. It's very reassuring almost that that's how it feels sometimes when you go to Homer because when they look back, it shows that 2,000 years ago, the Aleutic people out on the chain of islands, the Aleutic people came and they had left little campfires and remnants of bones. But they, for whatever reason, it didn't wasn't to their liking and they departed. The Eskimo tools, implements, the house, everything, even though they said scratchings in the rocks in the shelter between the year zero and a thousand, they came. But for some reason, it didn't show a pressure from other people. It's for some reason, it wasn't to their liking or the other place was better. And they just kind of departed. And then the Denina people came in. They said they, they looking at the campfires and the carbon and it shows that in the year 500 to the year 1700 is when they came into this new territory and they did actually did very, very well. They had developed an excellent system coming down the Cook Inlet. So but when they came down, they had learned to pay their dues. Mm-hmm. The ones that came in from the bottom realized it looks so beautiful. Because one of the things that's happening is you have this, the might you are there on the Pacific Ocean. And it just comes into this giant bay. Well, it continues to go up Cook Inlet. And it's very, the forces are are very strong. But right at the mouth, it dives in. And it makes this little still area. Mm-hmm. So you truly are in a brochure quality Alaska. But it just so happens that you're just behind the rock wall. But if you peek your head out closer to that edge where all that energy is going up Cook Inlet. It's very, it, it it's doesn't feel, it feels like you're dangerous. It, it, it is a very isolated place. It's 220 drivable miles away. I don't, if you're in Anchorage, which is kind of remote to some people, and then you drive out to Kenai, and then outside of Kenai, the Nilchik Anchor Point, and then way out there is Homer. It is the last of the last of the last. There's no, it's one road in, one road out, and it, it leads all the way down to that tiny spit, you know, where the salty dog is. But it's very, that's it, that's it. And then you drive all the way back or look across thousands of miles of nothing else. So it does kind of feel isolated and dangerous, but also kind of, um, you know, a hidden, like a hidden treasure. You know, there is, a, it does feel community as far as... Um, that is true. You know, it does feel that way when you get there. It, Homer does seem like it's not quite what you expected. The one thing about Homer is that the economy is seasonal. Mm-hmm. Whether it is, it's the fishing halibut fishing capital of the world. That's for sports fishermen and for commercial, mm-hmm. right? So you've got 
the industry of the people working on the boats. You've got the people on the boats. You've got tenders pulling in that they process. And, you know, mm -hmm. you've got all these different layers of people, and that's all seasonal. When the season happens, the people, some people are flooding in, filling things, and, you know, the thing goes back down. And they also have the tourists over the top of that. So seasonally, you've got the tourists happening, and the shops begin to open like flowers. People are everywhere. And then it ooh, it decreases. Yeah. And campers from Anchorage roll it in. The miles of RVs coming over the, the horizon. And so where are we now? When she went missing, October, mm -hmm. the wind is whistling over the closed plywood of the of the charters. They were hot cakes in July. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of the money goes out of the state. Mm-hmm they're a little late in the season like it is in october and you have on a thick coat that if you had went missing they'd be looking for that coat when you're out there and it's windy and, and you see how act how much action was there in the summer how much money was getting laid down and then you see the community around you and they're excited because someone got a job doing something over to the shop and you know that all that money probably went to seattle and or somewhere fishermen tourists service industries right i think there's nine hotels all of these layers of people that are coming in and in fluctuating in pulses depending on what's what type of fish are being caught or what type of season it is for people to come there in all of those people you also have different cycles like the the young let's say the younger man or older man the man who is working at the seasonal job and the season is coming to a close maybe he's saved up his money maybe he hasn't but he's about to leave here and maybe never come back again. The one time I went to Alaska and maybe he's going to indulge himself okay. in something because if he knows he's going to be gone. It's, you begin with this phase after the cadaver dogs. You start getting into this thing where you're looking at fishermen suspiciously, the oil workers, uh, people coming down in their boat and then going out into the bay. Maybe they, you know, you begin, they begin the tourists, the mechanics, the people, the end of the liners. Mm -hmm. when, when, so when you start to get to that phase after the cadaver dogs, you start to get to this phase. And what does the dad say? No. He says that he's convinced just by the way he feels about it and what they said about it, that he says she knew whoever took her. But only what could make sense is that he says, you know, could be right, could be wrong. But he's convinced that whoever took her, that she knew them. Whoever did this is getting away with it. And if, what if it happens again? He, he almost pleading to everyone. He said, it hasn't been good for us, but this is not good for our town either. This used to be a safe place. The entire feeling of the towns has gotten heavier. Mm -hmm. And now this is overlaid over it. And there was times when they hoped they maybe they found her and it never it came to be. And now it's setting in. Mm -hmm. And the, the her dad is saying, you can feel it. He's basically saying you can feel it and see it in the community. Mm -hmm. And somebody's getting away with it. And what if it happens again? Yeah. And it could happen at any moment. The clock is ticking. There's been no closure at all. In June of 2021, almost two years after Duffy's disappearance, uh, the court determined that she had been 
um, they not only declared her dead, but they said that she had been a victim of homicide and a certificate of presumptive death was issued. We know that they didn't have any evidence that she had died in a, as a form of a body, right? They never found that. Right off the bat, that missing persons, she was issued a silver alert. Now, essentially a cold case. The judge and the family, everyone nodding in agreement, they that she was a victim of homicide. That That's pretty substantial. Mm-hmm. For the gears of the judicial system, we don't, you know, we don't want to go into that. That's rare. But it does, the judge, by doing that, I believe that the judge and the family said, let's leave this thing with its headlights on. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did, basically. They left it with its headlights on as it fades off into the dark. It's It's got something attached to it that says, pick me up. I'm important or I'm still active. And, and that's why we're doing this podcast is because um, although people in Homer have been very diligent, then Alaska State Troopers, FBI, um, all over Alaska, people have been keeping their eye out for Duffy Murnane and trying to like find her or find something that leads to her recovery. But a lot of people outside of Alaska haven't heard this. Like you were saying, there's fishermen, there's all sorts of different types of people out there that may not know the story has happened. And they were in Homer, Alaska in October of 2019. So again, October 17th, 2019, Anesha Duffy, as her family like to call her, Mernane, 38 years old. When she went missing, she would be 41 now. She was a Caucasian woman with brown hair, blue eyes. She wore glasses. She was 5 foot 11 and 180 pounds. A Montessori school teacher. But she's still considered missing. It throws in so many options of, mm-hmm. of what could happen. You were there for the weekend for a wedding. And, you know, you don't normally there, but you flew in from Florida to watch your son get married. And then you're gone. And in your photo of what you took, you could see in the background, you know, and, and I guess that's what we're getting to. Let's just say that there is a photo somewhere in someone's trip that they went to the wedding of their son and they have a photo of them in their albums. And if you look in the background, there she is right at the moment of the abduction that the dogs and the dog handlers have said happened. Mm-hmm. There's a number of things that could that could do it could be that somebody could have pulled up on anything and grabbed it, right? But there's numerous things that you could do if you were planning this and you didn't want to get caught. Mm-hmm. A number of ones that they've used before in that type of situation in broad daylight, you can pull up it's when she's at the intersection of a small road and pull into it. And you have a truck and a trailer. You have an RV that maybe there's a door that opens to the side and mm-hmm. someone reaches out and grabs her. That way you would see the vehicle pull up. Mm-hmm. You might see it <laughs> jostle. And then you'd see it drive away. And if you didn't know that she was there right before, those are very valid ways of how people do yeah. abductions. Ed, of course, says they didn't even need that. Mm-mm. She knew them. Or or even like that's the vehicle one is a very strategic, you know, like a strategic kind of kidnapping. Another one that they use a lot is on sympathy. So if he had, she was a Montessori teacher. She grew up all over the world. Her mom helping other uh, disadvantaged people. If somebody had a big gash on their arm or had a child that was injured and she's on her way to the clinic anyway, she would have been of good service. And So when you're talking about, let's say, a person who can gain proximity to her, playing to her compassion, she gets in to have her in the car, right? 
we we start to look at the type of things of were they organized or disorganized it appears that this person was very successful yeah unfortunately unfortunately this person was very successful almost as if they'd done this before and in a town of homer there's not a history of a lot of missing people you over the span of alaska you know a missing girl or in girdwood or somebody from kenai but not not in homer so if it is somebody who um this wouldn't be we don't have any proof of this or anything but for conjecture if this was somebody who had this not wasn't their first time you can't obviously take somebody again from homer because of the small population and that really goes to some of the serial killers that we're familiar with that they will abduct somewhere and take them somewhere else quite a bit of distance that's why they opened it up to the state of alaska and there are other people who've went missing other girls other and recently people even being picked up and sexually assaulted one thing is you know looking at it from the as we mentioned at the beginning the experience of seeing the beautiful experience and coming down into homer and how it doesn't quite feel the way you thought it would Mm -hmm. well if you then were, let's say, sitting there and you're watching as this person who's done this before, a person who is obsessed with stuff, obsessed, has an obsession that they are a, they've done this before or something similar to this, mm-hmm. when they come into that town, the way that that feels to them might feel like all of a sudden they are invisible, that they could do almost anything they want. And there are going to be so many ways for them to look around. And if you leave basically no evidence, the same way that that, that we recognized that this thing is has so many people that have come in and going at that time, it's so hard to even know who was there, much less ask them to go look through their old photos. You're basically invisible. You can at least get away with it once. Mm-hmm. There's too many people in the suspect pool. You never know who it is, and that and they the bad people know that too. They experienced how what Homer is, but they're looking for opportunities. Maybe that's one of the reasons why it happened there, is that they recognized that they could be almost invisible. For us, the silver alert, and for TC forty nine, part of it is keeping it active, keeping it open, because we don't know who it is, and it could be someone who passed through Homer and. We don't know anything about who, you know, if it was a car or a truck or um, was it on a boat or we don't know anything. The only thing that we do know is Duffy and she was a tall woman, not easy to abduct. They would have to know her or have um, some sort of plead to her. You know, it'd be very hard to manhandle her in the middle of basically a main street at noon. So they had to know her. The other thing is that um, a lot of times, if it is somebody who's uh, put some thought into it they, and they put some thought into her as a victim, that perhaps her resemblance may be somebody that they know. Ted Bundy, a lot of his victims looked like his fiance, and his fiance kind of looked like his mom. There's a lot of people who become obsessed with the way somebody looks or the way somebody acts. The symbolic victim that's the kind of stuff that you do talk about around the kitchen table it's not you're not going to build a case on that but it makes you think about different 
families and different relationships that they have. If somebody is an excellent person and you see them all the time and they dress well and they're really polite, and then one time you see them snap or be a bully to a little kid or a grandma, you're like, whoa, that's... Wasn't normal. That wasn't normal. That's how you view that person and that maybe that what you're showing me is a facade. When you didn't know that I was looking. Mm -hmm. When it was somebody, an elderly person or a child who can't stand up for themselves. And it's a total shot of the dark. But we've seen through cold cases that sometimes it's that recollection of someone who they're dealing with the grief. But one of the ways that they deal with the grief is they, they allow themselves to pick it up like a lock, a broken lock. And take it apart and put it back together again. And take it apart and put it back together. And be able to speak freely of what if this, what if that. And not feel, um, people are going to think I'm crazy because I care and I want to know what happened. Mm-hmm. These little things start to come out and you can actually see in a little bit. Yeah, if you if somebody has talked about this case, you know, at length. Overly interested. Yeah, you know a lot more about Duffy than we maybe told you today. Those are people who are interested, you know, like how people like to interject themselves into... The investigation. The investigation. We don't know anything, so what do we try to do is find out. Has someone talked about it a lot? Are they obsessed with that type of a woman, the way she looks, or maybe how gentle she was as a person? Or maybe that is the bullying factor there. We don't know things, so you have to start to look at the different angles. And the things that they've seen in the past, when you have a, you have a, a, a victim, and then eventually they have the person in custody, and through the, they, they have already listened to the person tell the story for themselves. Those people have done things like, crying at inappropriate times when they mentioned the kid's name, the person's name, mm-hmm. and they overly were crying. And the person says, wow, I didn't know that he would have cared about her that much. You know, I know it, it was affected us all, but that was over. The uh, intensity and duration mm-hmm. was abnormal. Or over talking, like you said, talking about it. But those, there are and those drinking. things. Yeah, drinking a lot. They went from holding up a good facade, apparently, to ravaged out benders smelling like the alcohol. Mm-hmm. like it's it's an, an effect from something else how i feel about this episode that this this is an episode to you know make awareness for a plead if anybody knows anything you know even technically if you were there go look through your photos if you were go look through your photos yeah do something that's what that's what people driving down the highway with the emt sticker on Mm-hmm. One of the things that's very unsettling is is that she had her phone on her and it's never been found. And it had once from the time of that she they know that she had it, it never pinged again. Anytime they called it, anytime they would, it never called out and it never received calls. So the whole the whole issue of how it comes to play that her phone is disabled, it looks as if it was disabled by somebody who would have done something like abducting you in a car, pulling the phone out. All of a sudden, we're looking at a sophisticated person, and we have zero trail right now. Other than who she looked like, or type of victim that they would have thought she was, or they knew her. Hopefully, the observation of their behavior from community members or people who are hearing this podcast, that's weird. I do remember so-and-so took a Thursday off, or they took that week off and they went to Alaska. It's, it's October. It's almost about snow on the ground, you know. But they were there. Um, anything to throw at this. And it is important because 
she's missing and just like her mom said it's like she vanished into thin air you can go missing in alaska but you know you're gonna your shoes are gonna pop up somewhere you're gonna pop up somewhere a lot of times it's accidents or bears or things that happen but in this case this looks intentional and from all of the studying if it happens once that this person if they get away with it they're going to do it again and that that's what her dad's plea was is that probably knew them otherwise she wouldn't have gotten in the car but even if that they're still out there and they're getting away with it and what if it happens again and that's the urgency here is let's whatever observation needs to happen whatever we need to do we do not want another missing woman in alaska or anywhere Duffy Murnane is a 5-foot-11-inch, 160-pound white female with blue eyes and brown hair. If you have any information as to her whereabouts, please contact the Homer Police Department at 907-235-3150. Thank you for listening to True Crime 49. You can find us online and on most social media platforms at TC49 Podcast. Support the show by sharing the podcast and rating. You can also visit our Patreon for bonus podcasts like Inches and Mercury, which includes a Robert Hansen episode, and visit our website for merchandise. True Crime 49 is an Alaskan true crime podcast. The original Gothic Veritas.